Welcome to this episode of the Pro Player Podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by professional player Ginny Lou Asher. Ginny Lou played college in Purdue and Louisville. She played all around the world, Colombia, Norway, in the US for the Washington Spirit. She's been in Sweden at AIK and now this season played in the Portuguese league for Terenze, which is just north of Lisbon. She's been capped 30 times for the Jamaican women's national team. She's played in the Champions League and she was also part of Jamaica's 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup squad. Shinilu, welcome to the Pro Player Podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Great to be here. Really wanted to get you on because I thought your brand of authenticity and expertise, leadership, just everything that you're about, like certainly in my time um, working with you, it always transcended you just being a professional footballer. And I just think there's a lot of people out there who will benefit massively from your insight and your your expertise. So if you don't mind, I'd like to kick it off. Um, just talking about that, really talking about you and what type of player you are and maybe, you know, maybe just all those important things that you think uh, an aspiring player wants to follow in your footsteps might want to hear. Oh, that's a nice, a nice icebreaker right there. <laughs> Get straight in Honored and honored and flattered by your intro. Thank you. All right. Where, where, where does one begin? I know you might, you asked, you know, what, what sort of player I am. Um, I think I'm, well, first of all, I'm 30 years old, <laughs> going 30 for 30 uh, right now. Um, and I, I think I'm I'm constantly unlearning and learning the type of player that I am. I think that is one of that's a very dynamic relationship that a player um, at a high level in in this career um, has to have. You know that you are the game is constantly changing and you you must change with it. You know that's one of the beautiful things I think about the game. Just football wise, like I, I love the ball. Um, I love football as an art I love um I yeah I love I love the the beauty that the, that the game has um so when I play I I like I like um I like flavor I like uh creativity um I like being part of the play and then building the play with my team um and I you know have uh thankfully developed a fitness base um you know running track when I was younger to kind of allow myself to enjoy the the game offensively and defensively um my favorite place to play is the eight where I can kind of be in the middle of everything if I can um but yeah I mean I'm I'm also a very you know spiritual person and I've and I've really tried to understand that for myself and try to integrate that into my playing as well um, just in, in how you you learn your body, um, your mind and body, I think is is something very um, under researched and examined for a footballer. Um, we are the one of the epitomes of mind and body players, um, and I don't think a lot of light is shed on that. So, just in my own personal journey, I've been, um, you know, kind of trying to to develop in those ways. And Always. I've always been fascinated with you. I've coached a lot of players in my life now, right, over my career so far. But I've always been fascinated when I meet a player like you because you always seem to have, uh, and you mentioned it a little bit there in terms of the spirit and how important that was to you, right? But it always 
seem to matter that little bit more to you, right? And not not to say that it doesn't matter to other players, of course it does, but I, I got the sense working with you that it was a very visceral thing for you to get game instructions or have a game plan or you, you wanted to know how everything fitted together. And I, I think sometimes, especially female players, younger age, they get perhaps um, derived for that or, or, or they get derision because of those questions or that want to know or that need to feel. And I think that's a mistake that, that a lot of coaches make. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I I think I'm inclined to agree with you that it is it is something more common amongst uh, female footballers. Uh, we we, we want to know exactly what's going on and why. Um, and I think how, I mean, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in this, but maybe a theory could be, you know, how, how we develop in our game knowledge is a bit different as well. Um, just in terms of like when we're exposed to it, how, you know, and you know, those different other areas that kind of build your understanding of the game. But I think in our nature, like we, we require a little bit more chemistry, a little bit more feel for what's going on. Um, I don't think that's a weakness. I think um, the res- if it's handled correctly and if it's not misguided or, um, you know, if we're not being shot down in that way or, um, you know, I think on the other side, you you, you get stronger connections and um, like, like stronger, how do I say, like just more trust in, in what, what the game plan is and, and a bit more of like a buy-in. Um, and sure, maybe some people can do that immediately, but sometimes when you understand things more, everything, you're way more engaged and it's like you, it, there's a little bit more, sense in in how you carry out and execute what you're doing um and of course i mean there's everyone that you know there's those little quizzes and tests that show you know what kind of learning you are so everyone is different and i think the modern day coach has to really embrace that and see that as a strength and not a weakness and i think it's it's not a big deal i mean you can you have coaches now they show the game plan beforehand or they, they speak it beforehand and then on the field they show it, you know, I think if you can include everyone, maybe you think it takes more time, but really it, I think it quickens the amount of time for everyone to get on the same page um, and to get together. So, yeah, I think that's what I would say. I think it's a plus. That's a really great insight because you're basically saying that you understand that maybe it takes more time to develop a rapport or answer some questions. And let's be honest, there's coaches out there who are great at this, but there's also coaches out there who, you know, feel a little threatened perhaps in a public setting and don't yeah. want to be put on the spot. And we, you know, we don't need to go yeah. into that detail. But, you know, what I love about what you're saying here is you're saying that it might take a bit longer. It might be a bit more labor intensive, but that's the job. That's what coaching yeah. at any level should be. And actually, mm-hmm. by putting in that investment, Look what you get out the other end. Look how much more powerful it is. Look, look how much more uh, robust it is when players feel mm-hmm. part of the process. But we were talking to Jodie Taylor in the first series, and she was kind of 50-50 on it. She said, look, in my career, I've had coaches who've done that, and then I have coaches who mm-hmm. won't even speak to me and won't even you know, talk to me about what's going on. And the question yeah. is always the same. Like, wh- why? Why doesn't everybody do it this way? Then if this is what the pros yeah. are saying, in your yeah. experience, what has it been like for you? Have you had both? Yeah, I, I would say I've had both. Um, I think my favorite experience was uh, when I was at AIK um, in Sweden last year um, in, in the Donald Svensson. And I mm-hmm. like that uh, we actually had a couple 
we had two different staffs. It was a little tumultuous uh, season for us. But the first staff, what I liked is that they just kind of like offered different resources and whoever and so and that's another thing it, it depends on what level we're talking about I think as you get higher and at the pro level there is definitely a standard where like hey if you don't understand you need to be proactive like that is part of being a pro um, but I like that with that team like they would send uh, you know a lot of film on different things and like it, they kind of created more space for you to be proactive on what worked with you okay, they made themselves available to go on, to go over things one-on-one, one, one on one. or, you know, they would send certain clips um, and just say, hey, like, just make sure you look at this. We're going to go over it again. But, you know, some people, they, you know, when you're in a room, you, people, oh, man, it, team film that goes for like an hour, you know, like how many people are, are awake that entire time? Like, I'm guilty, you know, especially if you don't even know the language, you know, 100%, yeah. like, good luck, right? So sometimes they send it beforehand so you can have your own time looking over it and you can just see things differently and then you go over it again. So I like that. And whatever works for you, that's what you tune into. So I like that. And by the end of the week, everyone, it's, you know, things are more digestible. You're not just getting it all the day before the game or, you know, so I like when there's, but some people that's okay if you, you know, they, they can process things differently, but I think having different, um, resources available for different learning styles is really important um and i felt like it was very effective for our group so it's the it's the structure isn't it of, of um it's the structure of how things are put together that needs the thought mm -hmm. and that is now getting the thought i think in fairness yeah this is not a new concept in top clubs and and top environments yeah. like you know an hour and 30 minute video meeting versus how long can the brain actually concentrate? Well, Literally, and that's science. It's, it's, it's not Ted, just Ted us, talk. you know. Ted, Ted talks for 18 humans. minutes for a reason. It's I also think another important element is how is the staff, are they creating an environment where the players, it doesn't matter how old we are, like we all experience the same anxieties, you know, in this top performance environment. Like we're, we're competing, we want to look sharp, we want to look smart, we want to look, you know, know what we're doing. But making sure that with that you're still creating an environment that is that where players feel safe to not know exactly what's going on and ask like that is something that's so simple you know but it's not common <laughs> and you know making players feel okay with okay like I can come to you or I can bring this up because sometimes like you know you can bypass a lot of humps and hurdles of you know, learning types and this and that, if people can just be okay with having that dialogue. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's a sad indictment, isn't it, that that's not commonplace and, and you haven't experienced that mm -hmm. everywhere you've been in your career. But obviously with you seeing the changes in the women's game over the last decade, for sure, and even, even mm -hmm. longer than that, perhaps, I hope that's the, well, I, I certainly feel like that's the direction that we're going. And any for any aspiring coaches or coaches who are working in the industry right now in the women's game, we want, we want them to be cognizant of what you're saying. We want them to, yeah. and I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. This is not news to, to, to the top coaches, but I think everybody can reflect on, um, you know, how we put our messages across, when we put our messages across, and perhaps as well when we don't. Isn't isn't that mm -hmm. the magic sauce, really? What you know, for you as a, as a player, what would you say is the some of the examples of the, the the best coaches? What have they done to get the best out of you that you really remember and they stand out? Hmm. I think um, for me personally, like, and, you know, I'm, I've been raised by 
Caribbeans and West Africans. So I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable with uh, honesty and, you know, brevity and just straightforwardness. Like I respond to that. Um, I think what has brought out the best in me and, you know, different team environments is a coach that is able to match the same intensity of, of criticism um, with their encouragement. Um, and because I think both are really required to establish, you know, what the level uh, of professionalism is, or what the demand is like in a training session um, and also can hold people accountable. So, so and that's difficult. I, I think that I think people think that is much easier <laughs> said than done. Um, yeah. to kind of try to find that balance where, you know, you're not, obviously, you know, you're not insulting the player, but you're able to say enough to kind of make, you know, know that like, okay, like we, we maybe need some more, or we need this, but someone who's still with that same amount of intensity, like rewarding, you know, the good habits. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's really important. And also coaches that are very detail oriented, that is with habits, with, uh, you know, first touch, you know, which side of the ball you're playing, like these things that are established early in, in preseason or early on. So that is like the standard. I think not every, and I've played on a variety of professional clubs or, you know, or uh, yeah, um, I've had a spectrum and um, it can't always be expected that we want I think the game is progressing that way uh but you know in different regions for everyone to kind of have a baseline standard but sometimes I think regardless like you need to you need to establish that from the beginning in terms of habits um attitudes all those like details things um so any of my coaches in the past that have made that a priority I think yeah we you know experienced a lot of success in that environment and I think when the environment training environment is successful like that's what leads to success um you know in your season and not the other way around so absolutely i mean you're almost talking there about and we see it sometimes in the corporate world don't we but when a you know when an aspiring coach now wants to enter into an elite environment in the women's game or you know somebody in the industry is moving to another opportunity within the game it's almost that kind of 90 day plan what are you going to do in your first kind of 30 days type thing and mm -hmm. I remember I remember when I joined my first ever really really elite international environment and it didn't take me long probably a matter of weeks to notice that there was this moment when you spoke to top players where something you might have said sparked their interest and sometimes mm. it was a look sometimes it was the body language they would sit up other times they would give nothing away yeah. right and never forget <laughs> Farrah Williams I was talking to Farah once and, and about the midfield concept. Just stone, didn't give anything away. Wouldn't have known if she bought into it, liked it, didn't like it, thought I was an idiot. Wouldn't have known anything. And I remember thinking <laughs> at the time, I can't be taking this personal. I've just got to let everybody be themselves. Yeah, I'd like to think yeah. that in the end, she was thinking, yeah, that makes sense. But um, <laughs> I think players are individuals, aren't they? And I learned early on that it was about sparking that interest. And then I never left that. Mm. Everything I went in my whole career afterwards, I, I sought out ways to that interest before I delivered anything. Mm, yeah, and I, that made me think of something else that is equally important. I and I think a lot of coaches forget this that regardless of the age range on your team, like we are all kids on the inside. You know that that's we're still that player that you know that started like that's that that passion is still there, and I think we leave a lot of fun 
out of the out of the process. And I think that is so important to find. And it's not just fun. It's I think at the high level, it's incumbent upon the uh, the coaching staff to figure out how to create competitive fun. Oh my gosh, that is so important. And you can just feel the environment that does not have it. Oh my gosh. What a great statement. What a great statement. It is so important. I'm like, I do not care, you know, if I'm, you know, Formiga who finished the game, how old was it? 40, uh, in her forties and still has the biggest smile on her face and train, you know, like that is, it doesn't matter, you know, and, it is so important in keeping that like competitive energy, that flame that has to be burning the entire season. It's so important. Um, and I think it's left out a lot. And I'm like, oof, you're, you're missing out on like an extra, you know, it's almost like a rejuvenation, uh, yeah. you know, something that kind of keeps you going and keeps that team together. Um, it's also a little mental break too, but something that still still ties into that the edge of, of the team. So. That's important. It's got to be part of the, uh, as you say, the magic. It's got to be part of the magic. You can't just have mm-hmm. a game, a game model. You can't just have signings and recruitment. You can't just yeah. have a reputation. You can't just have experience. If you're not thinking in a periodized plan for a season about how you provide, I just want to repeat your words there. Incumbent on the coaching staff to provide that competitive fun. I think that's one of the best statements I've heard in all that we've been doing this. That is so powerful. That is so Mm -hmm. powerful. So I saw something you retweeted from um, Lacey Sandoff. It was a video, right? And she said something about she had an obligation to put up with anything the fans said. It was like one of those videos. Yeah, I mean, Uh, I I think, um, you know, football is women's football specifically is starting to finally you know get a lot of um you know attention and following and um, people are finally really tuning in and appreciating you know the women's game um at the same time it's grown a lot to you know to welcome that as well um and i think with that any any time that you're under a camera or any time there's that you know separation between a performer which a player is an audience you kind of get that scrutiny or that it's like a dis it's like a disconnect where people start to see you less as a human or more as just a performer and um I think that was a bit of what Lacey uh was was getting at that you know like there is a lot of pressure you know people don't understand you know how how it is to perform and when they make mistakes people don't under, don't really get the humanness um in in those moments um and that those things happen and and a lot of the man i mean the harassment really <laughs> that mm. a lot of players can get um when what they what they should be getting is the opposite in those moments um because yeah. they are in those moments for a reason um you know big moments are for big players so if if you're seeing that then you know they're big players so mm. um I think I think she was kind of just touching on that that you know it's sometimes fans need to realize that we're human and we make mistakes and um, you know not to har- harass and and all that so 
and, the, and there is a line. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine there, there is. is obviously, never had the kind of talent that you have to be able to play in front of those kind of crowds. But I, I imagine right. it is probably one of the hardest things anyone has to do because I imagine most top executives in Silicon Valley or people in the corporate <laughs> world or teachers going to school, they don't, they're not going to get. They're not going to get shouted right. at for 90 minutes by 20,000 people <laughs> right. or 30,000 people. So, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's something we want in one sense in terms of the fans' engagement. We want fans involved. We love right. fans of the women's game. We know it's special. Anybody mm-hmm. who's been in the women's game knows what a women's game crowd is and, and, and is right. evolving in. But at the same time, I love what you said there about both fans and the coaches. In the moments where they probably need a bit of understanding or support or, or encouragement or, or at least scaffolding them. Maybe not encouragement, yeah. but at least scaffolding the deal with that. Yeah. 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 Instead, they, they, they're getting uh, something else. They're getting, as right. I said before, derision or, or vitriol or spite or even just frustrated yeah. feedback. It doesn't help in any way. Like, we're right. playing in yellow today or is there a hole in your foot or some ridiculous <laughs> comment that I've right. said to young players all around <laughs> the world. Like, so yeah and it's like what are you i bet if you ask those people like okay like you're saying this you know heinous statement or whatever but like what are you actually trying to get out of it do you want that person to feel bad or you know what do you what's going on here you know are you wanting them to be better okay would would that make you feel better to to do it you know so it's like (laughs) ah, well Well, i want to know i want to know how that feels as a player but I've always yeah. had this idea, and it's impossible, but I've always had this idea of, like, you know, like on Secret Millionaire or Secret Boss or whatever it's called, where <laughs> the game might stop and somebody comes on with a camera and they actually point it at the coach and go, right, this is what you just said. Are you aware of what you just said? What do you actually mean? Yeah. And the whole stadium just watches this person take accountability for the things they say to yeah. them. Um, so from your side of it, you've obviously, unfortunately, been in situations like that. How does it feel? Yeah. Ah. I mean, it doesn't feel good, and it's it's really unfortunate that, um, again, I mean, this is this is a, a job as well, you know. So it, it's it's unfortunate that you kind of have to get to this point. But you know, I've definitely, um, you know, been in uncomfortable environments where you, you know, for survival, you just kind of have to desensitize yourself to that. Um, and some people are better at that than others, you know, so you can see it being very crippling to a player and someone just kind of kind of having to just put on a blank face and just kind of block it out or try to, you know, weed through, you know, whatever was said to get the constructive um, point out of it. Uh, but it doesn't feel good. And anything that kind of forces you to, to lose focus of what you're doing um, and kind of stay in that moment longer is not helpful. It's, it's more, it's way more destructive than constructive. Um, and that's kind of like all you have, you know, I mean, you, you have access, if, if it gets bad, you have access to captain sometimes, but you know, even that, like it's, it's very complicated in like a high performance environment where you, you still need, you know, the approval of that coach to, you know, get your minutes, get your, you know, get your playing. So a lot of it is kind of developing like your own force field, I guess, um, and making sure that doesn't jar you and, you know, take you away from, you know, the good player that you know that you are and don't let that kind of, you know, intercept that. But it, it can be difficult. I know for me, I've, again, I was probably growing up with Jamaicans on the ball field, but like, 
I it bounce I try to have it just bounce off of me and you know just have that good like self-talk that's something that I'm still working on today you know not being so critical because I'm getting criticism I'm getting enough criticism <laughs> certainly yeah. from the outside you know I don't need that like reflected on the inside too so I think that is one of your biggest weapons um biggest uh, protectors for you as an athlete um and I'm probably in any industry any anything that you do in life as well but yeah uh, Benny Benny Brown is someone who I've uh, read a lot of stuff about recently in my time in the states um mm. this this work I would encourage anybody to go out and search out but she talks about armoring up she talks about you know mm. arm, armor up and and while I understand it and I, I, I get it, there are certainly situations where that is the case, right? I hope that what we're doing and maybe in a little way with this project here and what we're doing for the future is we're starting a narrative or a, or a conversation that in 10 years' time, we don't have professional footballers or youth footballers who have to put a force field around them, as you said, or mm -hmm. armour up because of the spike in vitriol. Now, yes, armour up to the... The pressure, armor up to the high performance life, armor up to making a penalty and all the stuff that goes with the game. Yeah. Armor up to being injured and, and being mm -hmm. traded. I get it. We're not talking about um, utopia here. We know right. high performance sport is what it is. But I hope in 10 years' time, we are not still talking about armoring up and having yeah. force fields for young female players or any female players because mm -hmm. of the spike in vitriol that we're seeing now. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think. Um... I think another sensitive like side that I think isn't spoken about a lot is that th there has to be a balance. And, and I do think that in light of, you know, a lot of, you know, verbal abuse that is being uncovered right now in women's football and thankfully getting snuffed out, I, I hope that it's not replaced by, I don't want to I don't like saying overly sensitive because it's not a bad thing to be sensitive, but um, there is still an element where you need to need to be able to be open to receive criticism in order to grow and get better. Like you don't know it all and you can't, I, th I think this is like one of our, this is like part of like the human condition that we can't see ourselves. We need other people to see us and help us. Um, and I think, I've been in some environments where, okay, you know, that sort of, you know, quote unquote, like more villain coach is removed, but a lot of younger players are, you know, there's like a fear that you don't want now, you don't want to overstep, you don't want to speak too much. Um, and so not enough is being spoken, you know, you still need a little bit of grit, you still did it, you know, it's not easy it's it's you know trying to find that balance of communication and I, I think that is something that we're all capable of learning um but I I still think is very essential to like that coaching space that um you know I I'm like I'm a little bit worried about the, like a growing fear to still have a demand from your players and but I think that's just something that we're trying to learn you know again you know what is the right you know, what is the right level of intensity or, you know, am I, am I coaching too hard or, you know, and, you know, sometimes that removes the whole coaching voice together. I'm like, well, don't do that. You know, that's not what mm. we're asking. We just want you to be a good person. <laughs> um, not a lot to like, what does yeah, that look like? You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, we, yeah. So it's like, how can we have a bit of both? Um, and, and I think a lot of that, 
I, I think the next like generation of coaches are going to come from from my generation. I think a lot of it will come from players who played as well and yeah. kind of like and have played in different environments to see like okay like you know how how can we make a make a good mix of these things and and kind of build on their own experience but it's it's tough it's it's hard being a coach i guess yeah <laughs> people just kind of jump it, into it and think they're gonna you know be successful but it, you have to learn yeah. a lot of things it is hard it is hard to do it properly and there mm-hmm. are some phenomenal coaches out there both by yeah. the atlantic all around europe or around the world I, i've just mm-hmm. spent most of my time in europe and, and north america but there are phenomenal coaches out there who are getting this balance right, who are thinking about their process, thinking about their competitive nature, constantly learning and developing and evolving. They are everywhere. I've met I've met phenomenal coaches out here in North America. We just happen at this point to be talking about the other end of the spectrum. And I think it's important mm. to say that not everybody involved in the youth game and not everybody involved in the college and professional game, you know, is getting it wrong. Some people are actually yeah. driving it forward. We, yeah. had, um, Be- yeah. we had Becky Burley on the podcast uh, only a couple of weeks ago, and mm. Becky, what drive winning uh, project is phenomenal in terms of the culture that she uh, first began at UF when she was there and, and the work she does and the ambassador she is now for, for culture and women's sport and still achieving the high level um, at the same mm. time. So it can be done. It is being done. Uh, it's just we yeah. want to shine a light on how it continues to evolve, I think. In this section, I really want to talk to you about the journey. I want to talk about your journey. I want to talk about how a young nine-year-old player kicked the ball for the first time and then dreamed of one day stepping out at the the World Cup, which you have done, which is a phenomenal achievement, dream of millions of young girls all around the world. So that is obviously a journey that, you know, filled with trepidation, filled with ups and downs, there would have been times where it seemed like he was so far away, but because you are someone who has achieved that goal, that ultimate goal of playing at a World Cup for your country, can you talk to us a little bit about the phases of that journey, maybe, or, or you know, what kept you going, and 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 ultimately, then I want to talk to you about what it's like to stand there and sing the anthem and, and, and represent the country <laughs> at the World Cup. But if we can start with the yeah. journey, can we? Just do it? Um. Yeah. I. I'd say the journey was long and it was very um unorthodox um i i will say i started out first of all um my my parents are both you know they they moved to the u.s so i'm i kind of grew up in a very non-american household and i say that because uh, my jamaican father kind of forced my older brother to play football out of culture but not me you know and women's football was not a concept known you know I literally forced my way into it um my mom was the first person who kicked the ball with me not my dad you know she does not know how to play (laughs) but she did get some 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 vapor boots just to (laughs) show show up and and show the part but um I say that to say that I, I really had no idea what I was, I didn't know, I, I had no idea what the journey was um, when I started. I didn't know, I didn't go to any NWSL games or I don't know what the what the name of the league was at the time. Um, I didn't see a lot of girls playing. I saw men 
I saw my dad playing, you know, with the in the Latino league on the weekends, you know, got my mango slices and watched from the side. Um, I would, you know, so I, I kind of fell in love very organically and on my own um, and just kind of bulldozed my way in and just kind of kept going. Um, so <laughs> we, yeah, I think for me, the most important, the most important element of my journey was, was my joy. And I never let that flame go out. And I, I think I, I started playing with my dad and my brother, and then I, you know, got promoted to playing on the, on the weeknights with, you know, the older Jamaicans with my dad, um, you know, and I kind of learned the game that way. Um, I didn't learn the game as a, as a female footballer. I was a female footballer in my own right, but I learned, you know, etiquette. I learned like the nonverbal you know language you know in the game like I learned all that playing with guys playing with you know my Jamaican culture in in the DMV which you know in in Maryland so um but I kind of kept that joy going um and you know in college I went back and forth the track and you know I was kudos to my parents for allowing me that freedom to kind of flirt (laughs) flirt around a bit um, but my joy for football was always there. I, you know, was always playing pickup on the weekends and eventually I kind of stumbled into a, you know, a nice college. I went to Purdue, um, signed very late my senior year, which is unheard of now, especially wow. then and now, especially. Um, and I kind of just, I kind of just focused on my joy. Like my, my freshman year, I was so nervous. I, you know, I had this idea of college <sighs> it must be like, oh, so amazing or so high, you know, I didn't expect to play at all. I was like, wow, these girls would be so good. And like, I'm gonna just sit out for a year probably. But I, I went in and I, you know, became a starter. Um, I think after maybe like the third game and I was like, oh, like I'm I'm playing or, you know, I went in, I didn't know anyone at, at my school, but you know, I was just doing the things that brought me joy, like 1v1, like taking people on and just kind of like being in that moment and was successful. like my freshman year and I was like oh well would you look at that you know here we are and then I you know I kind of got into the Jamaican U20 program um I went to Jamaica and and trialed like I wasn't recruited the other way around um and kind of earned my spot there my my chops I guess um and I kind of just kept going from there but I, I never really like knew or, or I wasn't, I guess I could have done more research, you know, but I'm, I never really like had any examples of like what it meant to be successful as, as a women's footballer. Um, even, you know, with Jamaica, especially, I mean, now, thankfully, like we have earned so much respect from the international community, but nobody respected Jamaica, you know, up until <laughs> no. like 2019. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, even, you know, I won't yeah. say names of teams or environments, mm-hmm. but I've seen firsthand different treatment of national team players, you know, from pro at the pro level, you know, you know, coming back in and out of, of the club or, you know, with your, from national team duty, like, let me, Jamaica ain't getting no respect till recently. Okay. I don't care who's on the bandwagon now, but we know who wasn't, uh, you know, some years ago. So it's like, Mm. even then, you know, playing for my national team, like I think one person on my college team was like, Hey, congrats for doing that I was like oh 
you know, you know this, like, thank, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, even then, you know, I, I, it didn't feel as successful as it should have. Um, and I'm really proud to have been a part of the national team program in putting, putting, putting us on the map, but not just us, just like expanding what it looks like to be a successful like footballer period. Um, and you know, that crosses into a lot of different conversations, but, um, <laughs> circling back, <laughs> um, yeah, so, but I think something that has been the common thread throughout of my journey, and I, you know, I've seen a lot of players peak at college, seen a lot of players peak after one year in the pros, um, and I think a lot of that, I mean, there's a lot of factors to that, but one common thing that I've seen is there is just like a, a lack of passion or a lack of joy, or it's been snuffed out in a myriad of ways. But one thing that has been a priority for me, anytime I'm like not playing well, I'm not enjoying myself, like period. And so I'm like, okay, how can we bring that back in those marginal ways? Because when you feel good, you play good. You know, people say when you look good, you do it. You know, when you feel good, you play good. Um, so that's, that's my journey, <laughs> journey of joy through football. <laughs> what a journey. And you're yeah. talking there, you're talking there directly to the players as well. I think that's a great bit of you know advice to pick up on. If you could quickly offer some is there'll be a lot of young players, aspiring players out there who will link their self-worth or their accomplishments or their, you know, in terms of attribution theory, they will, they will directly link it to their you know their playing time or how they're doing in the game or, or yep. have they been called up the national mm -hmm. team and you're talking here about having a, a mechanism for managing that because you can't control some of those things a lot of the time yeah and it's tough i mean i i hello still have to still have to check myself for that i mean i you know went to the world cup in 2019 but did what you know was left off the roster in the most recent one i had to re you know recalibrate that joy big time you know yeah you know, so it's it's hard. It's, there's a lot of things, especially as a top athlete, of course, like we all have these qualities that have gotten us here. We are, we want to be the best. You know, we are critical of ourselves because that's how we improve. That's how we, you know, make sure our details matter. You know, we want to do all these things. And, and unfortunately it is, you know, so our success is kind of, me it is me a measurable thing and it can be like a did I get the job or did I not? Did I get yeah. my minutes? Did yeah. I not? Did I score a goal? Did I not? Um, yeah. And a lot of those times, you know, it is also at the whims of, or it's more often at the whims of things that we can't control as a coach or the whatever, the this and the that. But you have to try to be as constant as you can or consistent as you can on the inside um, so that you're not as swayed by, by those things that mm -hmm. you can't control, of course. Those are the corny things you always hear, but they are real, guys. No, but they are true. They're they are real. true. They are true. And, and <laughs> look, I, 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 I promised when I started this that I would ask the questions I thought people would want to hear. And, and I know yeah. from knowing you personally how authentic you are. And I've got to ask, you know, you get that news. You don't get selected in that squad. You, you want to find your joy. How do you go about? How did you go about dealing with that? What did you do first, and how did yeah. you how did you get over that? Because a lot of people out there will yeah. feel the same. They won't know how to deal with it. Oh man, I'm gonna be so honest with you. I had to grieve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had my grief period, and like I think that was very crucial um, because I think people 
um, I don't know what the term is, but there's there's a side of positivity that can be harmful, that can be not what you think it's it's supposed to be. I think some people try to do that automatic positivity button, but you're still energetically feeling those emotions somewhere. And especially as a footballer, like I think it's if, you, if things are stored in the body, that's something I believe in. So if you're not processing these things, then you know you're setting yourself up for something. I don't know what sometimes a manifest of injury or just more stress or some a volcanic episode, uh, you know, later down the road or something. But like you have to figure out a way to process those things. And for me, missing out on the World Cup that was big time. I mean, that was huge. And you know, I'm not there's no blame there's no this or that it just was the reality of it and so for me I definitely had to have my grief period I had to like I was feeling the feels you know I allowed that to go you know you don't want to get lost in it but it is an important part of processing something that like a loss um so I had that I had that part it was very I'm gonna be honest it was very hard to watch the tournament because of so many emotions like I I love my team that's my family um and also just like such a pivotal moment for women's football period I mean the the tournament you know all the all the stacks all the revenue all the everything improved conditions like it was just a very uh, emotional time emotional thing to to watch I guess and um but I at the same time (laughs) had to think about I mean you know I've played for Jamaica my entire professional career and not being not being a part of that made me question you know I guess like my identity as a footballer as well and like because I'm you know I'm not just a Jamaican footballer you know I don't just I'm not just a reggae girl you know I was someone before reggae girls you know and so who is that someone and have we met her in a while you know so I kind of had to you know do some journaling do some even some talking with my dad and some memory lanes and some reconnecting. And, um, I was, I was at home as well. And, um, I, yeah, I kind of got back to my roots. I, you know, went to my, the people that I play pickup with, I had some, I guess like some, I don't know, just some different like football communities that I, I don't know, that are just so loving, like, some futsal some this you know so just some like good football homes for me I think everyone you know that's it's different for everyone where people feel safe and feel feel great but those places just bring me a lot of freedom um, for my football so I kind of leaned into that a lot and uh, just focus on my joy and just allow that to like build me back up um, and yeah I, I think um it, the, the tournament it was, I'm, I'm, not, I'm gonna be honest it was hard to watch the entire time like it didn't yeah. get any easier. No, I know how you feel it did not but I, I know I mean, how you feel it's yeah there was no um resentment it was you know it's just kind of like how can we hold the the grief but also yeah. like the happiness at the same time those are two polar things um but they were very real you know so uh, I didn't ex- expect it to get any any better, but we we made it through, and um, mm. and we also were, I, I guess, like I felt really more like reconnected with myself as a footballer by by the end of it too. So I think, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. Those things, but I think that yeah. 
that moment um, created a lot of space that I need to explore. And I think it's something that's benefited me in coming into my new club this year. Um, so I can ask you, I can yeah. ask you about that as well. So the, mm -hmm. as we move, as you move through it and as we conclude this section, really, was there a point where you'd been through that process? Did you feel like that process was then over? Was there an actual moment where you went, oh, okay, yeah, it's a little bit easier to deal with? Or was it more of a, um, sorry, it was, was it, it was, oh, yeah, like over a course more of time. Of a, yeah, a course of time, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely more over a course of time, I would say. Because even, I mean, you know, there's a lot of messiness, you know, with our program. But I, I did get called back into the national team under different circumstances um and even then it, it felt kind of odd you know I had a different number you know I was in a completely different role the political yeah. climate was through the roof for different reasons <laughs> that would require another podcast episode but um <laughs> but it's it was definitely an ongoing process but I think it was also like you know sometimes you got to toot your own horn and I think as a as a professional um or just as a as a me maybe um I think a lot of us do this but we don't take a moment to pick our head up and appreciate like what we've done yeah. and I think um something that brought me out of that grief space um was really introducing that moment for myself like like Chenny look where, where are we at right now Let, let's let's really we have time so let's sit and look at what we've done and you not you know, and also what you've done to help the team get to this space. Like, let's mm. let's start to draw our draw out our stars. You know that we're we're deserving of, and you know, you not you not making you know one team or you not making one opportunity does not negate the whole trail of things that you've done to get to this point. Period. And I think a lot of times we we just focus on that next thing. So if we don't get the next thing, then like everything else doesn't count. But no, you know, life goes on and what you've accomplished is, you know, written in stone, you know? And um, so that that was also good for me because I, I am so focused on like my next step that everything doesn't feel like something like, oh yeah, I did chimps. Oh yeah, I went to the book, you know? Like, no, like these are, these are things that people dream of, you know, and, um, and you need to, you can't just rely on other people to like shout you out for it. Like you need to really honor yourself and what you've done. Cause you're, it's, it's just you at the end of the day, you know, this is, this is your career this is what you're doing. And you're also still playing, like your career is still going like, heck, yeah. you probably needed these months to reset your body anyways, you know, like now you're feeling good. Now you're going to another team and, they don't care that you didn't go to the, you know, like they're, you know, they brought you in, like you're a baller, you're doing these things and, you know, you're, you're, the show always goes on. So how are you, you know, you, can, you can't stay in that same space because you're going to bring that into, you know, your next big mountain that you're going to climb or the next thing that you're trying to work for. So I think just having those conversations with myself, um, that was ongoing, um, but slowly waned a bit more as I you know just started to kind of like rebuild like and remind myself of like who I was you know outside of the team sorry guys we're getting uh, vulnerable <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm not gonna lie I hope every female player in the country in the world hears what you have to say buddy because at some point or another 
they're going to need one part of this interview and they're going to they're going to they're going to use it. I I I knew I knew by speaking to you we would get the authentic, <laughs> we would get the real, we would get the the you know the it's in your blood. I know soccer football yeah. is in your blood. I know I knew it the moment yeah. I met you, knew it spending time with you on all those international camps, and I know it now. And I think from my standpoint, it it would be remiss of me not to ask you what what you're excited about for the future, like where the women's game is going. Mm. We we understand the growth, we understand the the you know the infrastructure changes and, and the, the higher coaching standards now. But what yeah. what excites you about where we are going? I'm really excited about just how the quality of football is not only improving but like expanding like the I guess like the the reach of quality football is is really going wide and far and I think the World Cup was a really good appetizer for that mm. um and all right yeah so I, I I just look forward to seeing that expand more and more like more resources more opportunities for people from you know Venezuela to you know Vietnam you know I'm I'm loving it and I think the more that happens the more we're able to see kind of like in the men's game where we're able to really see and appreciate these different flavors of football um, kind of come to the surface whereas you know years and years ago it used to kind of just be more brute a bit you know more you know who who can do things the fastest the quickest now we're starting to see like that like football come to life, I think for women. And um, I just love to see it. I, you know, I, yeah, I just love to see it. I love to see good football. I mean, it took me a long time, maybe until not recent recently, but you know, I didn't grow up watching like women playing on TV, honestly, because it just wasn't, I like to play it because I am a yeah. woman, but I didn't like to watch it because it, you know, wasn't yeah. as savory, you know? Yeah. But now we're we're seeing it, and it's it's funny because my my dad is someone who definitely did not appreciate it growing up. Like I kind of had to tag him along in my journey, and then he then he stuck. But even he will say now, he's like, sometimes I actually enjoy watching like women's games more than men, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I I just I'm looking forward to it, um, like just like the parody of it all, and. Um, and what and I don't even know what what the, the future could hold once you you put in or you start to try to match the amount of resources and funding going into it. Like I I think it's like the fastest growing business or something. I think someone yeah yeah that you know someone presented those stats or something, and I believe it. Um, so so yeah, I look forward to that, and um, I also look forward to some paradigm shifts in leadership. I think. There's a generation of, of people in power that, you know, if they're not going to change then they got to go somewhere else, you know, and kind of oof, create more room for growth and just new ideas and um, new visions. So I think we're on the way with that, too. Um, so yeah, I'm also looking forward to a lot of, of the, the players, you know, that are towards the end of their careers, like becoming the, the, the next coaches. Like I think, yeah. I think the NWSL is like the first example of that happening, and um, you know, I really wish all of them so much success and in their coaching journey and trying to just kind of push the game in the positive direction as well. So, yeah, good things to come. Exciting times. What so for you personally? Mm. You're obviously under contract in Portugal now, and you've got you're still playing, and you've got that to to, to wrap up at some point in the next four or five years or whatever it is, but. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, we've got to, we've got to keep you in the game. People like you have to be in the conversation. You have to be in the game, whether it's for CONCACAF or whether it's for you know any of the federations or even just head of football in the world, Ginny. Like, what are we going to do? Is that is that what, what are we going to do with me? Like you or where, yeah, where are you going to go? I, you know, I, I have these conversations with myself, and mm. um, when I don't get overwhelmed and try to switch the end dialogue. I I try I I I think I could see myself staying in the game. Um, I'm not sure in what capacity. Um, and then there's the other version of me that just wants to go to Japan and learn, yeah. you know, or China and learn Chinese medicine or something. I don't know, but um, as we can all probably agree at this point of this episode, I I love I love football. I have a passion for it. Um, and also have a passion for others as well. And um, I think I think this industry needs people like that. Um, and so I think regardless of what I do, I'll, I'll, I'll have some pause in there, but I am uncertain. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm, you know, I miss all like our federation woes and I'm like, could I, do I wanna deal with this as a profession? Do I, do I have the capacity and, Honestly, I actually think I do after all these years. Probably have more than the next person built up, but um, we'll see. We'll see. I think another another like silver lining of um, the World Cup this year was I got to really see a lot of my former teammates uh, playing. And I'm like, Chinny, you've really been like around this world or like... <laughs> You know, you are, but I also think like one being a good good person like takes you a long way, and it's amazing like the network that you create just being a good human in in your in your environment wherever you are. So I think um, kind of looking at that and seeing where everyone is, and I'm like, ah, I could I could do something here, <laughs> you know, or I don't know. So maybe in in a few years we can we can have a recap episode and <laughs> well we certainly we certainly we'll see well, what the we, plaque on we, my shirt says yeah i might pull a for me kind of keep playing till the carry on forever well you have you have major support from everybody here at the pro player and i have no much. doubt in my mind that whatever federation whatever association national association whatever even fifa like i have no doubt that we'll see you i hope at some point in a role there because whatever you are whatever you decide to do whatever you go post your playing career football soccer will be with you i know that uh, but you have so much to offer you are offering so much you, you i want to sign off for this really you said during this process that you grew up and you didn't see that success in, in women's football, you didn't see that role model, you didn't see those people. Kenny, you are now that success. You are that person and you are going to inspire millions, I'm sure, over the coming decade of aspiring coaches and aspiring players and people in the women's game. Uh, and, and I just can't thank you enough for this for oh, you. My goodness, kind of trying to make a girl cry. <laughs> trying to catch some tears for the end of this episode. Thank you for that. Um, thank you. That that really touches and warms my heart. Hearing that, I appreciate it's, it. It's been a phenomenal. It's been a phenomenal <laughs> hour. I cannot thank you enough. I know you've run 
straight from training and double sessions <laughs> and everything to be with us today. So we really appreciate it. Never stop for the for the professional footballer we know. Thank you for joining us and we, we will definitely be following you into the future and we wish you all the best. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Talk again.